In a world where everything keeps changing, your stores provide delicious, craveable consistency. At the National Restaurant Association Show, you'll find what you need to keep your operations efficient and adapt to new customer expectations. Join us for data-backed industry projections, sessions focused on financial fluency, deep dives into restaurant technology, and more. Save over $60 when you register with code RBDAILY by November 23rd at nationalrestaurantshow.com. This could be a long winter for some restaurants, even if there is a vaccine. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Adam Werner, global co-leader of the restaurants, hospitality, and leisure practice at the consulting firm Alex Partners. Alex Partners really recently did a study of the industry's debt levels and found some not-so-surprising results. Adam talks about those results and where the industry stands financially at the outset of what could be a tough winter before a vaccine potentially provides some relief sometime next year. Adam also talks about how the industry has used more debt and fewer assets in recent years and how that's affected chains going into the pandemic. Please have a listen. All right, I am here with Adam Werner. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Good to be so, here. Excellent. So uh, you guys just did a study looking at um, uh, sort of the um, how sort of debt levels in the uh, uh, restaurant space. Could you tell us a little bit about that, what you guys found and, and what you're seeing about uh, restaurant companies right now? Sure, definitely. Well, actually, this is one of the things that we focus on as part of Alex Partners. We do a lot of work on the restructuring side, as well as helping companies drive performance improvement, and especially uh, in acute times like the restaurant industry is facing. But, but really, what we think about is, is probably four main highlights from the study that we've just completed. The first is that debt is up, both in limited service restaurants as well as full service restaurants. So think about your QSRs, your fast casuals, your fine dining, casual dining, and even family dining. Um, and in, in fact, in the limited service restaurants, we're up 8% just in the last 12 months. Hmm. Then double that, almost 16% for full service restaurants in the same time frame. Um, so if you think about it and you say, well, okay, so uh, each of these different industries were facing undue pressures, um, you know, is that a big deal? Well, we think yes, because if you go back to even as far back as the Great Recession, we're, we're talking about limited service restaurants being up more than four times um, and over that, that same time frame. So we're, we're definitely building out debt. So that's problem number one. Number two, what we think is that about 60% of full service restaurants have negative EBITDA at the moment. And that potentially could even grow to 80% by the end or early stages of 2021. So now if you combine negative EBITDA and high loads of debt, you're starting to enter into this uh, area of distress. And then really the third big piece is that if you think about over the last um, you know, several years, um, the the structure of restaurants have changed remarkably. We've, we've gone to much more of an asset light model, certainly in the limited um, side, but also even in the full service side. So levers and protection points 
that may have existed five, 10 years ago are no longer there. Um, so, you know, first we see potential um, issues on the, uh, the fran within the franchise community. That's point number one. Point number two is in years past, you would hope that your franchisors may serve as a backstop. And those backstops may not exist, certainly in certain chains on a go forward basis. So I, I would say those are the big things. So, you know, our fourth thing is that taking all these things together, we, we see a significant amount of either one operational turnarounds needed going forward, or certainly something to deal with the debt restructuring. Those are probably two big things on a go forward basis. So if I have this correct, then uh, going into the pandemic, um, restaurants had spent a lot of time, you know, I mean, it spent the, the previous several years sort of unloading assets. Um, they were already in a, and then uh, to get through the pandemic, they had to borrow more um, to survive, which because they don't have any, didn't really have any assets uh, to deal with. They borrowed more to survive and now uh, facing uh, what could be potentially be a difficult winter, um, they are in in worse financial shape than they were um, a year ago. That's correct. And, you know, you think about it, especially for chains that are predominantly focused in the mid Midwest and also the Northeast, uh, where a portion of their revenue stream may evaporate dramatically as the weather turns colder, uh, they're no longer going to be able to uh, use the outdoor dining side of things to, to really at least prop up a portion right. of the lost revenue that they had from indoor dining. So you combine it with things are not great on a traffic and a revenue basis. Uh, their debt, they've already extended themselves on the debt side. And then really the third piece is any of these other short-term levers to draw or at least um, have additional liquidity uh, even things as simple as rent renegotiations and, and trying to put off interest payments for the, uh, from the banks, those things have already been pulled. So those easier things or low-hanging fruit are really gone. So now we're talking about high-hanging fruit. And, and some chains will still be able to pull it and others won't. Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, as we sit here, um, I mean... I mean, the, the, one of the issues, especially full-service restaurants, because they're they're the ones obviously sort of in worse shape. Um, you know, they've had a slower recovery. Obviously, um, clearly, they have more debt than they did a year ago. Um, and and then um, you know, now we're facing a potentially long winter, as you mentioned. Uh, they don't have that patio dining, especially obviously in in northern markets. And then, as I sit here, we have in Minnesota, we have a winter storm warning, so that pretty much wipes out that idea. Um, and, you know, we have a virus that's raging in a lot of the country. And, um, you know, so there's a prospect of, of more shutdowns. Uh, we have, uh, you know, less patio dining. We have fewer options. And also, by the way, they are in worse financial shape. This could be a pretty tough winter for a lot of full service concepts. That's correct. And, you know, what I would say, though, is that, you know, it's not exactly dire for absolutely everyone. Mm -hmm. There's always winners and losers in these particular times. Um, but, you know, as I, as I think about things, you know, there's, there's potentially opportunities for restructuring. There's also opportunities for concepts to rethink um, who their customer is. 
and how are they actually satisfying those customers? We're actually surprised that you know, quite often when we talk to clients, um, are they really maximizing all of their revenue streams across the board? Are they you know, doing everything that they can for, for pickup and delivery? How are they thinking about their menus? Um, if, if you have a broad-based menu that was successful for you going for, uh, in the recent past, is that really optimized for today's diner? Um, who are your customers today? And are they different from before? Are they really the value shoppers and they're looking for deals? Um, or are they, you know, uh, coming from a different uh, pool of individuals? So, and are you catering to them across the board? And then I would say the last, the, the two other pieces, uh, we're really surprised at some of the internal four walls fixes, labor optimization, Packaging costs become really extremely important, especially for takeout delivery. And then really the, the, the last piece, the third piece is, is thinking about just, you know, strategically, who do they want to be on a go forward basis? Do they want to cater to um, the consumer that's on the go? Or are they going to revert back to um, a casual dining uh, from yesteryear? Because I would argue that those shoppers are perhaps gone and could be gone forever. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one, I think. I mean, what do you do? Uh, most of these casual diners weren't really built for a takeout business. Um, you know, they were, were built for a specific type of customer and, and, and now they face a future with a lot fewer of those, potent, of those customers and they've had to sort of shift their models a little bit and, and, look, and, and start aiming at um, um, takeout and that to me is not necessarily an easy um, an easy strategy for a lot of these a lot of these full-service restaurants that's correct I mean just some of the chains you've noticed have really revamped their takeout strategy dramatically they've you know they've, they've changed the uh, the takeout windows some actually have takeout windows today where they didn't before others have, have really moved that operation to the front of the house Whereas before it was a it was a cluster and trying to get someone a meal on the go. Yeah. So I think there there are folks that are starting to get it right. Unfortunately, you would say it, it does require some capital quite often. And you know if you think about chains and in particular independents that really can't afford this kind of thing, um, this is going to be very difficult for them to overcome. So conversely, the chains that actually get this right. It's actually maybe an opportunity for them to grow in the longer term. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, which gets us back into the financial wherewithal that restaurants had going into the pandemic. Um, you know, the better the shape you were in, you know, the less debt you had, um, you know, the more room for error that you had, probably the more popular you were, which is, is uh, obviously, you know, very, um, you know, you know, the chains that are popular are probably also the same ones that have a lot of financial wherewithal. Um, they're the ones, obviously, that are going to survive this, um, that are going to have a much easier time getting through these next several months. Exactly, exactly. You know, so, you know, for us, um, you know, as, as a happen chance, we're always very cautious with our clients and making sure that everyone has a firm understanding of their needs on a go-forward basis. They understand their liquidity positions. They have great relationships with their banks and their uh, their landlords, and they've pulled every available trigger. Things that they probably should have done in in the May June timeframe. That it's now time to come back and just do a process check, a report card, if you will, 
And then the next level is starting to, to really understand and making sure that they're, they have a good understanding of their pandemic customers and what those customers are doing and how to market to them on a go forward basis. So it's tweaks to the pricing, value format, and then you know where should they invest in terms of cost opportunities, cost reduction opportunities in the longer term and other types of uh, menu levers that they could consider. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, talk about one uh, thing as, as we, um, as we talk about this, Pfizer recently just said um, that its vaccine trial uh, was 90% effective. Uh, we still, there's still a lot unknown about that uh, vaccine, but it's probably the first real legitimate hope that we have um, uh, regarding a, a vaccine and a potential, you now for like the first time in nine months, we see a potential end game here where we have a vaccine coming um, you know, could get broadly distributed next year. Um, do you think that that's, you know, potentially coming in, coming in time to save this or, or what are you seeing there? Well, I think systemically, we as Americans have forgotten how to cook. <laughs> so we love to dine out. Um, so I think this, this is always going to be uh, a major industry for the mm -hmm. U.S. And around the world. So that's point number one. Uh, the opportunity is there for us. Uh, point number two is, it's a great question. Um, is this going to be in time? Um, so if you were to play it out, and I think the, there was an article in the New York Times today that talked about this, but, uh, you know, optimistically, you're probably talking about having a large percentage of the population um, uh, with a vaccine in June. Uh, so if you think about six, seven, eight months, potentially, for, um, for us as diners to start to feel comfortable, um, then I would actually argue beyond when we're all vaccinated, um, there may be a point in time where it, it, uh, people um, have to get comfortable with the process and comfortable with restarting certain aspects of their lives that they've put on hold, going to the movies, uh, you know, go shopping in person at a mall. Uh, those kinds of things. And then dining out, dining out um, inside, indoors at a particular place. So that actually may, you know, take us a little longer. And then it, then the next piece is, so if you're potentially looking at eight to even 12 months, uh, for, for some chains, that, that, that's, a, uh, that's a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Without any sort of government intervention or any other support from other financial resources. Um, you know, there's a lot of private equity that's interested in this space today. Uh, so maybe those um, potential, potential institutions will think about these as opportunities. But, you know, certainly not everyone's going to be able to wait for the vaccines this summer. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are, are sort of basing their idea or their, their, their plans uh, and have been on like a comeback um, early in 2021, and certainly by now. And so one of the concerns I have is that if we go back to March and April timeframe, and a lot of companies, um, you know, put off lease payments, and, you know, so they have a balloon lease payment coming up uh, relatively soon, um, uh, you know, or, you know, the, the, the lender allowed them to sort of kick the can down the road a little bit on their, on their, on their, um, uh, on their loans and, and their debt payments. And, and, and that those things are going to be starting to eventually people have to start getting paid. And if we don't have, you know, that ramp up in sales that we're sort of hoping for early next year, you know, 
I mean, essentially what we've just done is just delay sort of some of the uh, fin serious financial challenges, um, you know, a year down the line, essentially. Exactly, exactly. This kick the can mentality. Uh, and are, are we going to be able to, are chains going to be able to do that? If I, if I liken it back to the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, um, by and large, a lot of casual dining chains were able to do that. Um, debt was very cheap, same as today. Um, I would argue, though, it's harder to get today. Mm -hmm. So while it's, it's cheap for some, it's just difficult to get and obtain. And I think that's where there's going to be a challenge. Um, those just uh, availability of, of getting these loans and doing the refis at reasonable rates, it just, you know, we, we see is going to be very problematic. Um, you know, there may be some relief on the landlord side if, if certain landlords are willing to get creative and go back to, um, you know, like taking a percentage of the revenue, um, similar to a royalty payment. Um, you know, that was very successful, I think, in the 2000, 2000 timeframe. Um, but, you know, largely a lot of uh, real estate um, and landlord uh, providers kind of shied away from that before. Are they willing to jump into that pool for potentially an upside going forward? Mm -hmm. Love to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously certain things are going to have to be done differently um, because we still going to have, I mean, the thing is like, you know, I mean, a lot of restaurants have, you know, I mean, we've seen some pretty decent recovery, especially some of the largest chains. Obviously, some concepts like your urban concepts and your entertainment concepts um, are still like monumentally struggling. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we've really seen a pretty nice recovery. But the problem is, like, even the best companies like McDonald's is a perfect example. Earlier this week, they said, we have more debt than we did before the pandemic. The same with Starbucks. The same with a lot of other companies don't have, you know, are, are, are still fundamentally in a worse financial position than they were a year ago. And it's going to take a while, even for the best companies, to work their way through that. And, and the problem, of course, if we get down the line to the companies that are the smaller chains, the mid-sized chains, the full-service concepts that really didn't have a whole lot of wherewithal to get through this are really sort of facing a, a pretty significant problem in the coming months. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's really why, you know, from a distress perspective, at least, you know, from our, um, our perspective, our analysis would suggest um, in certainly in the full service side, but even in the uh, limited service side, this is, is probably the worst that we've seen it. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is comparing 2008, 2009, and then sessions before that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to, uh, I, I mean, I remember, you know, during, you know, the, the previous recession and how bad that was for a large swath of the restaurant space. Um, franchisee bankruptcies were prevalent. Uh, we saw a lot of, uh, a, a lot of struggling companies during that particular time. And that was only like a what, a 1% sales decline. And this, we're going to come out of this with, a, you know, 10, 15, 20% sales decline in 2020. Uh, when all is said and done, that's substantial. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it just still seems like there's a lot, of, of, you know, a long way to go to sort of work our way through that. Well, and I think there's a long way to go. And there's all, also already been uh, a lot of calamity in the marketplace. So if you think about the restaurant industry as a whole, probably um, operating at a um, 2x multiple in terms of the number of 
of companies that have had to go out of business um, versus last year. Uh, and then if you think about as well, chains, and those are independents primarily, but now if you think about chains, there's already been a dozen chains that have, have really had to close up shop or um, significantly restructure or be sold. So that actually, um, those numbers aren't even part of our analysis. These are other uh, institutions that are part of, you know, a go forward. So yeah. that, that's why, you know, from our perspective, we're very concerned and yeah. we're trying to share this advice with our clients. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth noting and you point, pointed this out. Um, uh, an exceedingly rare event, I think, in the restaurant space is a chapter seven bankruptcy or yes. where, where a chain restaurant just says, that's it. We're closing up shop. That's we're done. Locks all their doors. And if it does happen, it's a small chain. Um, uh, you know, we've already seen a couple of instances, including a significant one in Sioux Plantation and Sweet Tomatoes, uh, you know, end up, end up in Chapter 7. Um, you know, there, there are possibilities um, out there right now. In fact, there is a, a legal filing in the Ruby Tuesday case suggesting that that company, Ruby Tuesday, could end up going to Chapter 7 as a result of that bankruptcy. So it's a very rare event. We've already seen a couple of these. And it would not remotely surprise me if we see more um, in in the near future. And I mean, you can make an argument of whether, in some cases, that's really kind of necessary to sort of get get rid of some of the supply. But still, um, you've definitely seen some some more severe impact of this um, than than we've ever seen before, really. Exactly. Exactly. I, I would argue there's probably. Um, there's an argument to be made that in certain parts of the U.S. there had probably been an overcapacity, mm -hmm. number of seats, in particular DMAs regions um, that you know needed to correct itself. But you know these levels of of Chapter Seven um, and certainly Chapter Elevens is certainly unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. I mean we're, you know, I mean I I think that you know one silver lining going coming out of this is um, that we don't, we don't have an oversupply issue anymore, I don't think. I mean, I think that, you know, if, if assuming you can get through these next few months, and again, for a lot of chains, that's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a big if. Um, you know, and then of course, you also have this other fact that you're gonna have to compete with the big guys um, that, oh, by the way, are spending a lot of money on technology and takeout and mobile apps and all this other stuff to increase their competitiveness even more. And you're gonna have to find a way to compete with that in a financially damaged condition. Uh, but if you can get through it, I mean, in reality, I mean, the market is sort of set up for you to really succeed coming out of it because there are fewer restaurants, um, you know, uh, and the real estate market's probably gonna look better uh, than it had been in a while. So it, you should be able to do pretty well coming out of it. I, I think, but there's a, there's a massive bridge to, to cross in the meantime. Yeah. And, you know, you wonder, the the the, uh, the chains that are able to make it to the other side, um, there's really going to be a distinction between you know what they can do as management teams and the strategic direction that they take, and the others that are incapable of doing this. You know, could be in part because they don't have the investment capital because they're over levered and they can't invest in the types of things that you've mentioned, technology, uh, ways to satisfy the customer demand that the new customer demand going forward. And that's effectively going to draw a greater divide between the, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of. Um, um, 
yeah, I mean, as I said, it's it's as uh, and as you said, it's going to be a tough few months for um, um, for this industry, and it's going to be a fairly significant test um, uh, going forward. Still, a lot of way, a lot of things that have to get worked through uh, before we see where this industry stands. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, do you think the industry? I mean, do you think that this is all going to bring maybe a little bit more common sense to? sort of the way this industry is financially structured. I mean, because I think the thing in your report that I found particularly interesting is that if you, is, as you mentioned, if you look back since the last, um, you know, really since the last previous recession, I mean, this industry has built up a lot of debt. It's gotten rid of assets and is just generally operating in a more financially risky, um, uh, you know, in, in environment. I mean, do you think this is going to probably bring a little bit more, you know, um, conservatism to this industry or not? Well, I, I think, should it? I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, will it? I don't know. Um, you know, the restaurant space is notoriously optimistic <laughs> across the board, right? So it's grow, grow, grow. And it, and if you think about it, us as American consumers, uh, we facilitated that. We want to eat out more and more in different ways and that kind of thing. So uh, what I would say is that the supply demand uh, curve is definitely has been headed in one direction for a while. Um, I think in certain segments that stopped, but it's really taken, you know, you would argue uh, 10 years to start to reset casual dining. Mm -hmm. And, you know, folks have have mentioned that it's had too much capacity for a long time. Um, So, you know, there's, there's an argument that, you know, we as consumers still haven't figured that out. Um, so that that's one. Um, two, I think though is that this is causing a, a step change in how we as consumers think about dining out. So you know the if if we're you know take today as a perfect example, uh, I'm calling you from my house. So um, I didn't go into the office today to work. So therefore, uh, a breakfast occasion was missed. So certain parts of the day. Uh, potentially are going to change, you know, potentially going forward forever. Uh, or certainly they're going to shrink dramatically and while others may expand. So I, I think while one door may close for certain concepts, two other doors may open. So I guess getting back to your question, will we learn from this? Gosh, I hope so. Um, but yeah. I'm not exactly sure what people will, will take away. Yeah. Some may look at it and say, lots of opportunity for me. Others may look at this and say, all right, now I need to start running this business differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, getting, you know, one thing that you'd mentioned earlier is that, you know, people really like restaurants and they, they don't like to do the dishes. They don't like to do the cleanup. Um, you know, the thing, one thing that we've definitely discovered during the pandemic is that people are going to find a way to eat out at restaurants. Um, even in the midst of a quarantine, they really, really do um, like eating out even if they have to sit in a drive-through lane for like a half an hour, like I had to the other day, or, you know, things like that, they are going to find a way to eat out. Um, and it's up to the restaurants to sort of serve that. I, no, I agree. I think the, the, it's, it's more or less incumbent upon the chains that know where their customers are coming. So for you, going through the drive-through and having to wait a half hour or longer is a travesty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because there probably aren't a whole lot of consumers that are willing to do that when there's potentially other options right down the road. So if you're 
having to do that here, you may think twice about going back to that particular place, depending on what it was and if it was your favorite, um, and you know, doing something different next time. Yeah, super. Adam, this was fantastic. Appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Before we go, I would like to put in a plug for other restaurant business podcasts, including RB Daily, Buzzworthy Brands, and Menu Feed, all of which can be found on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks again to Adam for recording this week's episode twice due to technical difficulties. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by the wonderful Kimberly Kazmarek, artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. And you may subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, the podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening. In a world where everything keeps changing, your stores provide delicious, craveable consistency. At the National Restaurant Association Show, you'll find what you need to keep your operations efficient and adapt to new customer expectations. Join us for data-backed industry projections, sessions focused on financial fluency, deep dives into restaurant technology, and more. Save over $60 when you register with code RBDAILY by November 23rd at nationalrestaurantshow.com.